As the world becomes more polarized and distorted from reality, Big Red for America breaks down a new concept, value, or debate so you can better understand the history and facts. Using historical data, basic logic, and common sense, we supply honesty and clarity around today's political topics, value sets, and cultural discourse. This is the Big Red for America show. The Supreme Court is deciding on whether or not it's constitutional to murder children, according to the Babylon Bee. Progressives are protesting outside the Supreme Court as they hear the case laid before them, and they decry the fact that they might no longer be able to murder their own children. In all seriousness, the Supreme Court hearing this case may be the case that can overturn Roe v. Wade and return America to constitutional rule. We are looking at the case of a generation. But how did we get here, and what does it mean for the future? We'll get into all of that and more. This is Big Red, and you're listening to the Big Red for America show. So what is going on right now? Right now, the Supreme Court is hearing the case Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. They started hearing arguments on December 1st, and a brief background of the case from Oyez, which is actually a great source that I use for pretty much all of my Supreme Court case law that I cite here on the Big Red Show, so I really love a lot of the stuff they do. But according to Oyez, what set up this case was in 2018, Mississippi passed a law that prohibited all abortions after 15 weeks after conception. So at a gestational age of 15 weeks, Mississippi bans pretty much all abortions. And then obviously Jackson, Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is the only abortion provider in Mississippi, challenges the state in federal court and gets an emergency temporary restraining order granted, which essentially suspends the law until it can be heard further. It is heard further, and the district court rules in favor of Jackson Women's Health, saying that Mississippi cannot enact this act because it's unconstitutional. Uh, they found that the state had not provided evidence that a fetus would be viable at 15 weeks. And the Supreme Court's current precedent prohibits states from banning abortions prior to viability. And Oyez essentially frames the major question of the case is Mississippi's law banning nearly all abortions after 15 weeks gestational age unconstitutional? And that's where we are right now. You might be asking, what does gestational age and viability have anything to do with the constitutionality of this law? And to break into that further, we have to go way back, almost 150 years into the past to truly understand where this line of thought is coming from. So if you are a simple American like me and read documents or have the ability to read, you would question me saying, Big Red, where is the right to abortion in the Constitution? And it's, it's not there. It's nowhere in the Constitution. Uh, here's a clip of former Justice Anton Scalia essentially laying out that reasoning. You, uh, Justice Scalia, you had very strong opinions about this at the time. I know you do now. Why were you so 
violently opposed to it. I, I wouldn't say violently. I'm a peaceful man. <laughs> you, you mean adamantly opposed? Adamantly. adamantly. Uh, basically, because the theory uh, that was expounded to impose that decision was a theory that uh, does not make any sense, and that is, namely, the theory of substantive due process. There's a due process clause in the Constitution which says that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process. That is obviously a guarantee, not of, not of life, not of liberty, not of property. You can be deprived of all of them, but not without due process. My court, in recent years, has invented what is called substantive due process by simply saying some liberties are so important that no process would suffice to take them away. And that was the theory used in Roe versus Wade, and it, it's a theory that is simply a lie. There, the world is divided into substance and procedure. So should, should abortion be illegal in your eyes? Should it be illegal? Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't have public views on what should be illegal and what shouldn't. I have public views on what the Constitution uh, prohibits and what it doesn't prohibit. But I mean, the Constitution, when they framed it, they didn't even allow women to, to have the right to vote. I mean, they gave women no rights. Oh, come on. No rights? Did they? <laughs> of course. They were entitled to due process of law. All kinds you of couldn't, rights. You couldn't send them to prison without the same kind of a trial that a man would right, get. But, but again, it comes back to changing times. The Founding Fathers were never going to have any reason at that time to consider a woman's right to keep a baby or to have an abortion. It wouldn't have even entered their minds, would it? Well, I don't know why. Why wouldn't it? Because at the time it was just... They, they, they didn't have wives and daughters that they cared about? They did, but it was not an issue that they would ever consider framing in the Constitution. I, I don't But when know. women began to take charge in the last century of their lives and their rights and so on, and began to fight for these, everybody believed that was the right thing to do, didn't they? I mean, why would you be instinctively against that? My view is, regardless of whether you think prohibiting abortion is good or whether you think prohibiting abortion is bad, regardless of how you come out on that, mm. my only point is the Constitution does not say anything about it. It leaves it up to democratic choice. Some states prohibited it, some states didn't. What Roe versus Wade, Wade said was that uh, no state can prohibit it. That is simply not in the Constitution. It was one of those many things, most things in the world, left to democratic choice. And, and the court does, does not do democracy a favor when it takes an issue out of democratic choice okay. simply because it thinks it should do, not how, be there. How do you, as a conservative Catholic, how do you not <clears throat> bring your personal sense of what is right and wrong to that kind of decision? Because clearly, as a conservative Catholic, you're going to be fundamentally against abortion. Just as the pro-choice people say the Constitution prohibits the uh, banning of abortion, so also the pro-life people say the opposite. They say that the Constitution requires the banning of abortion because you're depriving someone of life without due process of law. I reject that argument just as I reject the other one. The Constitution, in fact, says nothing at all about the subject. It is left to democratic choice. Now, regardless of what my views as a Catholic are, the Constitution says nothing about it. 
I really like Scalia's opinion um, that he has towards abortion that he gives in this clip. He says, quote, I have no opinion on what should be outlawed. I have public opinions on what the Constitution prohibits and what it does doesn't prohibit, which I think is an excellent constitutional point to make. He points out that simple, just simply the Supreme Court's job is to interpret the Constitution and not legislate. And he lays out that the right to an abortion simply isn't isn't there. But Scalia's reasoning actually gives a lens into a deeper meaning of how of how we are even to interpret the Constitution. Many conservatives like Justice Scalia see it as it was meant to be. They try to read the document in historical context, which we do with every other historical document ever made ever. Or you have the progressives who see the Constitution more as a living document. That means we need to, we need to look through it through the scope of today to interpret how it can be best applied to our current day, to our current situation, which obviously leaves the Constitution open to, to perversion and see it wielded more as a political tool versus a rubric of how we're supposed to measure, of how we're supposed to legislate and how we're supposed to run this country. The Constitution then turns into, like I said, a political tool. So we can just read these rights into the Constitution because we're looking at it through the lens of today and we can just push whatever we want. And this view, this view of the Constitution, this view that it was a living document that we need to interpret it in the times of today, created this disaster that of abortion, abortion being a right. And we get that through, not through any constitutional amendment process, but through two extra constitutional, meaning outside the constitution decisions, Supreme Court decisions, first being Roe v. Wade and the second important one being Planned Parenthood v. Casey. So the first one, Roe v. Wade, that's the hallmark abortion is a constitutional right case. So you'll, I mean, that's what you hear in the news, Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade. So what is Roe v. Wade? It was the constitutional, it was a Supreme Court case that decided abortion, the right to an abortion was covered under the constitution. This was decided back in 1973. So forgive me if my math is wrong, but we're looking at almost 50 years. It's almost, it was almost decided 50 years ago um, by a completely male Supreme Court. So. Whenever someone says, oh, it's so sexist that you want to take away the rights to an abortion, they had no problem that it was just that the right was decided by all men. So you can just keep that rebuttal in your back pocket and use it at a later time. <laughs> Oyez, again, kind of breaks down this decision. They say, quote, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment protects against state action the right to privacy and a woman's right to choose to have an abortion falls within that right to privacy. A state law that broadly prohibits abortion without respect to the stage of pregnancy or other interests violates that right, although the state has legitimate interests in protecting the health of the pregnant women and the, quote, potential, potentiality of human life, unquote. The relative weight of each of these interests varies over the course of pregnancy and the law must account for this variability, unquote. So that is essentially the majority opinion. Roe was decided 7-2. That's the majority opinion for Roe v. Wade. So you see that there is this right to privacy in the 14th Amendment that abortion falls under. Roe v. Wade also said that states could limit, they could start limiting abortion in the second trimester if and only if they included some exceptions for mother's health and then the same with the third trimester because this is what they considered, quote, viable. 
you know, but they can only outlaw it still if they had provisions concerning mother's health, which is problematic because I'll get into this more later, but defining the human life around viability creates issues. But Roe v. Wade was decided along the lines of the 14th Amendment. At least the justices looked at the 14th Amendment to decide the right to due process. But what does the 14th Amendment actually say? Is this right to privacy even in the Constitution? Because we know the right to an abortion isn't. But the Supreme Court justices must have seen a right to privacy in the 14th Amendment when they made their decision. Here is the 14th Amendment. Quote, and I'm reading Article 1 in its entirety. Of course, sources always will always be in Substack. So I highly encourage you don't just take my word for it. Go to the sources. Everything's, everything's sourced. I'm not afraid to show my sources. This is not coming from, you know, Infowars or, or any sort of far right website. It's coming. This is straight from Cornell, Cornell's law website. So they say, quote, they define the 14th Amendment or the 14th Amendment just plainly says, quote, all persons born and naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction equal protection of the laws. So just a simple reading of the 14th Amendment, I don't see a right to privacy anywhere in there. Do you? I mean, am, am I missing something? Like I said, the full amendment is will be linked in the substack in our sources like always but it's not i it's not in there <laughs> there's no right to privacy the other parts of this amendment deal specifically with traitors to the country specifically confederate traitors this leads credence to my next point which is what was the intent of the 14th amendment when it was written was it written to, for this vague right to privacy was it written to be pro-abortion According to Senate.gov, once again, not taking this from a far-right website, this is just from the Senate.gov, a pretty high-level source, that, quote, Con Congressional Reconstruction included the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution, here it is, which extended civil and legal protections to former enslaved people. So right there, we see the purpose of the 14th Amendment was to extend full legal protections to enslaved people. Republicans passed these civil rights amendments with the purpose of extending civil and legal protections to freed slaves, which were currently being subjugated by Southern Democrats. So that's the reason why these were invented. These amendments were created not for some vague right to privacy, but to give people who had been deprived, totally deprived of rights, rights. So where do we get this right to privacy? Or what is this right to privacy? It's certainly not in the Constitution, so it's extra constitutional, meaning outside the Constitution. According to Cornell's Law Dictionary, once again, not quoting from a crazy right-wing source, this is all mainstream stuff, even left-leaning, sources they define the this quote right to privacy as the right to not have one's personal matters disclosed or publicized the right to be left alone the right against undue government intrusion into fundamental personal issues and decisions and i like this last part of the quote right to privacy 
Although the US Constitution does not explicitly state that there is a right to privacy, so there you go, Cornell even says that there's not an explicit right to privacy. Supreme Court decisions have found an implicit constitutional right to privacy in striking down laws that criminalize sodomy, the use of contraceptives, and abortion. Which, this gives us an idea of how these extra constitutional decisions are used. There, there's no right to privacy in terms of extending gun protections, protections to those who own firearms. They're not extending these rights to privacy to churches. They're not extending this right to privacy to people who refuse to be vaccinated. According to the progressive left who will die on the hill of right to privacy for abortion, the right for privacy determining to determine your vaccination status should be a matter of public record according to the left. So that's just, that is more of just a, a tool or an argument just to point out their hypocrisy that no, they truly don't value the right to privacy. It's just when it, it helps them, it's a cause that they like, which is what these extra constitutional decisions do all the time. Like, like even Cornell admits that these rights were used to strike down sodomy laws and for to legalize abortion. So just furthering progressive causes, which makes sense because reading things into the constitution is a progressive idea. So if this right to privacy isn't in the constitution, then where is it? So, I mean, we're entirely outside of the constitution now. And I just wanna bring back to your the front of your memory, the point that this whole thing was built on extra constitutional decisions outside the constitution. None of this was built from a single word that was found inside the constitution. But rather, it comes from an idea called substantive due process, which uh, Justice Scalia mentioned in his CNN interview. Substantive due process is very is a very interesting concept. It first came about from a dissenting opinion, not even the majority opinion of a Supreme Court case in 1873. It was a group of cases called the Slaughterhouse Cases. So 100 years before Roe was decided, they're balancing this idea, this concept of substantive due, substantive due process on that. So now we're looking at an up thing legislated 150 years in the past, which doesn't necessarily make the idea incorrect because obviously, I mean, judicial review has been around since almost as long as the Supreme Court's been around. But I just wanna point out that's how far back we're going. And we're going to a dissenting opinion, not even a majority opinion. And substantive due process is the idea that due process doesn't just refer to due process, which means an equal justice procedure, hence process, but also protected, quote, rights and immunities. But what are these rights and immunities? No one knows. It's up to the court to decide what's a, quote, protected privilege and immunity because it's not written anywhere in the Constitution. Cornell Law agrees with me again when they say Fields, the justice who invented substantive due process. His Fields' dissenting opinion is often seen as an important step, step towards modern doctrine of substantive due process, a theory that the court has developed to defend rights that, here it is, are not mentioned in the Constitution. So there it is again. We are completely outside of the Constitution. Everything that Roe v. Wade is based on is outside the Constitution. It's just not, it's just simply not there. 
So, just a, uh, yeah, and just a brief, just to summarize all this, Roe v. Wade was built on an extra constitutional idea of right to privacy, which doesn't exist, that was read into the 14th Amendment. It's built on substantive due process, which doesn't exist. That was just a dissenting a juror's or dissenting judge's opinion that protects, quote, unspecified, that, that protects unspecified, quote, privileges and immunities. And now Roe v. Wade is solidified as precedent, which is problematic, but I'll get in, into more of that later. The next case that solidified abortion as a constitutional right was P Planned Parenthood v. Casey. It's important because it essentially reaffirmed Roe v. Wade, which made it into precedent, which once again, I, I still have a problem with. I still have a problem with precedent, but I'll get into that a little bit later. And it established an, another extra constitutional clause to the extra constitutional right to an abortion. So you see, we just keep building on things that aren't in the constitution. And remember the Supreme Court's whole job was to compare and make sure that laws coming from Congress were constitutional. So the Supreme Court, in my opinion, is acting completely outside of its set scope by creating rights not in the Constitution. But that's that's more of my opinion. But let's get back to this concept of, quote, undue burden, which is that extra constitutional right that was added on to abortion in Planned Parenthood v. Casey. And according to Oyez, quote, for the first time, the justices imposed a new standard to determine the validity of laws in restricting abortions. The new standard asks whether a state abortion regulation has the purpose or effect of imposing a, quote, undue burden, which is defined as, quote, a, subst a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion before the fetus attains viability, unquote. So this, quote, undue burden right or idea is what these anti-baby pro-choice activists often use to take down laws that seek that, that seek to limit abortion in any way. They'll say, oh, it's 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 undue, it's an undue burden. But it's funny because this idea of undue burden doesn't apply to anything else. It, there doesn't matter how many hoops you have to jump through to buy a firearm, that's not undue burden. Undue burden only applies to this progressive idea of abortion which I find is very, very interesting. And this builds, and Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood v. Casey builds on Roe v. Wade because it now establishes it as precedent. And this, and now we'll get into my problem with precedent is that it solidifies bad decisions, bad court rulings, and allows just lazy justices to get off the hook instead of trying to look at the individuality of each case. Now, I'm not saying we need to throw precedent out the window completely. It does serve its role, but we need to, in my opinion, if I were a judge, I would rely less on precedent because the Supreme Court has decided things poorly. And even you, oh liberal listener who's like, oh, I love precedent, will agree with me. Do you know why? Because I know, <laughs> I know that you dislike Plessy v. Ferguson, separate but equal. Or or maybe you don't and you're a racist. But I know that you dislike, you probably dislike that ruling. So I just want to say congratulations. We agree 
uh, that we both dislike precedent. <laughs> that we both agree that the Supreme Court can be wrong in their decisions and therefore wrong decisions need to be overturned. So I thank you for agreeing with me on that already. Uh, so stop, stop pretending that you absolutely love precedent, that precedent can do no wrong. Save me that argument. You don't believe it. I don't believe it. Nobody believes it. Moving on. <laughs>so now that we understand where we are today we have a i would say fair fairly thorough understanding of how we got here how we got to roe v wade what the supreme court's exactly trying to decide which is why we have this case from uh, mississippi now in front of the justices of the supreme court many people think or are hoping that the next steps will be that the Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade. I personally will hold my breath about this because the the conserv the quote unquote conservative justices on the Supreme Court have the uncanny ability to shoot themselves in the foot and be horribly liberal when it actually matters. It will really depend on the conservative justices sticking to their sticking to the Constitution, because like I said. Roe v. Wade is completely extra-constitutional, meaning it's not found in the Constitution. It will depend on them sticking to the Constitution and, and showing immense courage, because obviously the, you have the entire liberal establishment media ginning up their base and just essentially stirring up division and hatred. But even CNN is trying to prepare their readers for Roe v. Wade being overturned. Apparently some justices have voiced support. Apparently there's already a majority that's that will vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Like I said, holding my breath because uh, depending who makes who exactly makes up that coalition, it could it could easily fall apart. If we're relying on Justice Roberts to overturn Roe v. Wade, I don't think it's going to happen. But maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. But like I said, getting back to what I was originally saying, CNN wants their readers to be, to be prepared for it. But even still, uh, CNN says that Justice Kavanaugh said that the justices aren't considering whether to outlaw Roe or abort, outlaw abortion nationwide, but rather just overturn Roe, which I think is morally wrong, but constitutionally correct. On a moral level, I believe that we should ex extend due process of law to infants who truly can't protect themselves, who are truly our most vulnerable. But constitutionally, it was never within the purview of the Supreme Court to legalize abortion native nationwide, period. It should have always been left up to the states or the, or the Congress to legislate that. It should have never been a Supreme Court decision. So turning it over to the states or the legislature is the correct constitutional decision albeit it's an immoral one. I, I mean, I think the moral decision would be to outlaw abortion nationwide, but I'm not gonna get into that. No, I'm not gonna get into that right now. CNN then states that many states have, quote, trigger laws that will ban abortion if Roe is overturned. And CNN says we can expect the decision in June, which I'm, which frustrates me, I want the decision ASAP, but hopefully then they can formulate an act, a good opinion, a really strong, clear opinion that just overturns Roe v. Wade and just completely gets rid of it. That would be awesome. So if they're gonna if they're gonna wait till June, at least give me a good opinion. If you're gonna do a crappy opinion, just give it to me now so I, I'm not holding out anticipation for that long. 
CNN then brings up the concern that they're concerned that abortion may be restricted based on your geography, that red states may prohibit abortion or greatly limit it and blue states won't, which my response to that is that they have no qualms that gun ownership, an actual constitutional right, is limited by geography. They don't have any concern that I cannot own a Glock 19 in California because it holds more than 10 rounds. Yet in Arizona, I can not only own that Glock, but I can also openly carry it because it's a constitutional carry state. Thank you, Arizona. So liberals, progressives, aren't concerned about state to state differences. Like I said, they, they don't care about differences in gun rights from state to state, but they're pretending, I don't wanna say pretending, but they're bringing out this differences in state argument that they, that, that they truly don't believe in. And uh, it's kind of a, a red herring argument. So that the gun ownership is a tool just to kind of see through that argument. Cause it's not really substantive. They don't act, that's actually not a hill they wanna die on but they will trump out that argument from time to time. So unfortunately right now, what we're seeing is a hurry up and wait. The Supreme Court's gonna, is hearing this case and deciding it, but we're not gonna hear a result till June, which I'm like, oh, it's frustrating. <laughs>do a, just a brief summary of my position, kind of like my big red takeaways. So we hear a lot of objections to overturning Roe from the quote, pro-choice, unquote, community, or as I want to say, anti-baby left or pro-murder left. So I just want to circle the wagons and just go over my position again, just sort of give you just point by point kind of my arguments, at least in favor of overturning Roe not really outlawing abortion, but at least overturning Roe. My, and my first argument for this is that it's simply not in the constitution. There is no right to privacy. I've already explained there is no right to privacy in the constitution. That was just ginned up by the Supreme Court justices who were relying on an idea called substantive due process, which wasn't even a majority Supreme Court decision. It was just a dissenting opinion. And I don't wanna say that I'm a, I, am an expert in Supreme Court or just uh, judicial law, <laughs> but to me, it just seems kind of cheap. Uh, and even the very definition of substantive due process admits that it's not in the constitution. Same with the right to privacy. Cornell admits in both instances that substantive due process protects rights that aren't explicitly in the constitution. The right to privacy admits that it's not found in the constitution, according to Cornell, not some far right website. And then again, in the 14th Amendment, which I read the first article in its entirety, there is no right to privacy there. It just simply isn't there. And I wanna, I just restate this because I think this might be the strongest argument to at least convince a progressive, you know, not coming at it from a moral perspective, but coming at it from just simply constitutional approach. You might, you might win them over. I don't know. Cause like I, like I said, there's a difference in how the constitution is interpreted. But I think that's the really the most simple, straightforward way just to at least refute Roe v. Wade. It's just not in the Constitution. The second point that I use to undermine Roe v. Wade is that no one actually likes precedent, just carte blanche. 
So no one, no one is upset that Plessy v. Ferguson got overturned, except if you're a racist. Uh, they're not upset that it got overturned, even though it was precedent. So once again, that was a separate but equal. Not upset that that got overturned. No one's upset that the Dred Scott decision got overturned, which determined that slaves were property and therefore had no constitutional rights. I mean, no one's upset that that got overturned, even though it was precedent at, uh, at one time. I mean, conservatives and progressives both support and generally approve of these decisions. And this is a return to the true constitutional meaning, the original intention behind the Constitution and Bill of Rights. So this fake outrage over precedent doesn't really hold water. You know, the argument that it's, oh, it's settled because it's precedent. It's just so weak and not honest. It's just not an honest argument because the person using that argument doesn't really believe it. They're just throwing it in your face and, hope, and hoping that you don't call them out on it. The next point to, to undermine Roe is that progressives extend this substantive due process to include the right to an abortion, but not, but they don't extend it to the right of the unborn baby or anything else for that matter. Like I hinted at before, any qualification that you could put on a human life, like a human baby to be quote viable, could extend to normal humans. Oh, I don't wanna say normal humans, but like born humans as well. If you were to say, oh, it needs to be conscious, it needs to be viable, we have plenty of people in America that aren't, quote, viable, who are ventilator or breathing machine dependent, who may be vegetables, and if you were to turn off the ventilator, they would die. We don't allow, we, we still give them rights, we don't just go turn it off because they're not viable. So that, I think, pokes a hole in the Supreme Court's logic that viability determines constitutionality. But we see this beyond just abortion, this, this idea of, quote, due process, how, it's, how the liberals don't really, or progressives, don't really believe in it. We see that in the show trial of Brett Kavanaugh, when Democrats sought to keep him from the Supreme Court with, with, this, with these cases of sexual misconduct, several of which were just outright lies. And the most quote-unquote substantive one, or the one that got perhaps the most publicity, was that the accuser couldn't give a, a time or a real place of when this happened. She's just sure that it did, which in any sort of legal proceeding wouldn't hold water, but the liberals and the progressives wanted to drown him in the court of public opinion which is the exact same thing they tried to do with Kyle Rittenhouse. They wanted Kyle to just be guilty because they wanted him to be guilty. They didn't want him to be tried, or they wanted him to at least be tried in the court of a public opinion. And now you see a lot of people still believing that he's guilty, even though that the, the court system found him innocent. And like I mentioned before in this episode, the, the progressives quash due process with these red flag laws that these that your guns may be able to be just be taken from you because a neighbor or a relative is concerned um, and these might be completely politically motivated but the progressives don't care they don't really care about due process only when it benefits them like in roe v wade <laughs> and i think and i have so many more pro-life and anti-row arguments that could be made. And, but I think in terms of 
the breadth of this episode that's a little bit outside the scope of this episode, but I think could easily, I mean, easily make up an episode of our, an episode of their own, or at least a mini episode. So I think I'll look into that just because I think there are so many good arguments that are that are at the minimum anti-Roe and at the best pro-life. So why why does this matter? Big Red, why does it matter that the Supreme Court might overturn Roe v. Wade? Well, I'm I'm hoping that just saving the lives of innocent children would be enough to convince you to overturn Roe v. Wade. But I think but there are there is at least more than that, you know, I've tried to avoid giving a moral argument to be pro-life um, and just tried to stick with constitutional arguments to at least overturn Roe v. Wade. So continuing in that vein, depending, it matters because depending on how aggressive the court is in their opinion, we could see substantive due process undermined. We could see the right to privacy rightly removed from the Constitution because first off, the, the progressives who claim it don't really value it, and most importantly, it's nowhere found in the Constitution. <laughs> and that could really jeopardize the left's so aggressive social agenda. Remember in the definition of right to privacy, they said that the right to privacy helped overturn laws that criminalize sodomy and the use of contraceptives and abortion, which could lead to the unraveling of the quote, constitutional right for homosexual marriage and other leftist social agendas, which would be, which could be important. It could lead to us kind of re conservatives retaking the culture. Um, I'm always hesitant to rely on the courts because when you put your faith in human institutions, you will always be disappointed. <laughs> like I said, the Supreme Court, and even with a majority conservative court, we've seen them give bad rulings because obviously they're human. So I hate to just rely on the court, but it could be, it could open the door for potentially unraveling of these extra constitutional decisions to lead and could lead America back to a more constitutional form of government, which is always good for conservatives. So this, I mean, just simply put, this case could have very far reaching social implications. So it's very, very important for the conservative or even libertarian to follow and be concerned about and just keep your ear out. Because if they're super aggressive, get rid of the right to privacy, get rid of substantive due process, we could see a whole lot of extra constitutional quote unquote rights, AKA privileges, go by the wayside and return, hopefully America to a form of smaller government, or to a constant, at, at least, at the very least, a constitutional government. This is Big Red for Big Red for America show. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. See you all next week. Did you like what you heard this week? Make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms from our site on Anchor FM. If you want to follow us on social media, you'll see our link down in the description. And if you really like it, make sure you share this podcast with all your friends. That's one of the best ways that you can help this podcast grow. Thank you all so much. See you next time.